I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The only gluten-free motorcycle podcast. <clears throat> None? Zero. I I have lots of gluten in me, I'm sure of it. I I can believe that. You're full of gluten. Mm-hmm. Gluten. Gluten and tootin. Glutinous? Gluttonous. I'm a gluttonous gluten uh, eater. I have no problem with wheat. Is it wheat? It's wheat and anything. Yeah. Anything that has. Pretty the, much, yeah. Pretty much everything. If you have celiac and you go to CrossFit, what do you talk about first? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Being vegetarian. <laughs> it's just how much you hate life. <laughs> Quentin, before we get too far, I want to plug a new project I'm working on if I can, sir. All right. Motor on. Motor on. So, um, doing a new doing a new podcast we're gonna we're gonna add one to the family it's called the motor podcast m-o-t-r motorcycles on the record it's basically we're just kind of interviewing people in the industry talking about bikes not so dissimilar what you and i do sir but more inside industry inside baseball focused whereas you and i are more i'd say on the outside giving commentary what inside baseball what that's another sports term that you're probably not going to ever know yeah like going hard in the paint yeah no. Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. <clears throat> now, would you ever get outside of the motorcycle industry, maybe boats? Because then it would be motorboating. That'd be good. You know, it's it's open to anything. You're a sailor, so motorboat. Yeah, motorboating son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was in the sailboats, though, so it's a little different. Yeah, sure. But I want to make the, the fans aware of that. You can find it up on the, the iTunes and the Google Plays and all the other places you find. Not yet. But soon. Well, when this podcast comes out. Okay. Fair enough. We will have a show out. Uh, We recorded one at the Honda Goldwing launch. We recorded one at the Panigale V4 launch. We've got some stuff coming out of uh, the World Superbike and MotoGP paddock. What's this You got a mount in your pocket? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, (laughs) His name's Fred. He's pretty lovable. (laughs) All right. I don't know why you got to make a thing out of it. Squeak, squeak. Don't don't judge me. Gets lonely here. (laughs) But yeah, just want to put that out for the space. Give it a listen, give us some feedback, and uh, we hope to, to keep growing the motorcycle podcasting empire that we've started here. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Uh, without that, further ado, sir, we're gonna get, we got like newsy stuff. We kind of got to get caught up in what's going on in the industry. Yeah, sure. So what do you want to talk about first? You want to talk about Harley Davidson? Oh, yeah. always. Yeah. It's like our favorite thing to talk yeah, about. Yeah, sure. Right? Oh, man. Talk about me some Harley Davidson. Let's stock up on Grecian formula and Geritol and go for it. Let's talk about how chapless apps is a redundancy. <laughs> all <laughs> apps are chap. All chapless chap- apps. All- I was about to say, dude, that's a that's a legitimate thing. You could have chapless apps on your phone. <laughs> no chaps, <laughs> but all apps. <laughs> <laughs> that's the dyslexia. That's okay. That's good. Yeah, that's that's really a, good. It's been a long day. Assless chaps. They're all assless. Yeah. Yeah. By definition. Otherwise, it's just leather pants. Right. Yeah. I had, had that pointed out to me the other day. Changed my whole world. Mm-hmm. But it's been a kind of a crazy, it's been a kind of a crazy couple of days for Harley. And, and truthfully, it's been kind of a crazy 2017. And I think that's the real issue. So we're but getting- it's 2018. I don't understand. Right. Well, we're getting all the financial reports from last oh, year yeah. coming in now. So it's basically like dire news, bad deals, shutting down. Was it? I saw something about them shutting down one of the plants or more than one. Right. So that's part of it. So the earnings call was today and they made a the lot what? of announcements. The earnings call, like when they talk to shareholders and investors. Earnings call. That's what you call it. Yeah. That's good. I have never heard that term in my life. So I'm glad to. Yeah. All right. So any it's like inside baseball. publicly traded company. 
does an earnings call every quarter, every year, every six months? What is Usually it? Usually every quarter. Every quarter. Yeah. So you do the earnings they have call. A, they have an obligation to inform their shareholders every quarter. And does that come in status. like a packet of information about the company and what's going on? Or do they just say, hey, usually, we're doing this? Yeah. Usually they publish a report and then usually they have a phone call to explain the report. I wouldn't say all brands. Yeah, they, I think, don't quote me on the SEC requirements, but there's, but there's, there's, there's a basic duty of inform. Of informing the investor. Duty. <laughs> duty. Who are you, like Beavis and Butthead? How old are you? Well, that's, we kind of like that, right? <laughs> it's different from an advanced duty, which, <laughs> man, that's like Taco Tuesday. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry to take it to the, sorry to offend our one listener in, what was it, Massachusetts? That was like, you really should tone down on the, on the potty humor. I don't like talking about poo. <laughs> poo is just not a funny thing to talk about. <laughs> okay, sorry. And he's right. He's absolutely. The only reason we get away with it is I know my mother doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> that is the only reason. Otherwise, I'd have to like clean up all that nonsense and be like, well, Quentin, the um, the financial report today said that uh, the Harley-Davidson was coming in and the stock earnings went up uh, 3% EPS. And then I'd be sitting over there. <laughs> oh, duty. Yeah, right. No, it'd be bad. Okay, so they did their call, and did it their was call. But so, not so good news. Not so good. So let's start with like the bad news first. Oh, wait. It's all bad news. Sales are down. Uh, for the year, sales are down 8.5% in the U.S., 6.7% worldwide. For me, I'm more curious about what does it look like the past two years, say? Going down. Just keeps going. So down. the trend is extreme, or is the trend? So this is the thing: the downward trend is accelerating. That, that's that's what I was. I don't know how to say it, but that's what. I, so it's the the slope is getting even worse. It's like it's it's. We were talking about dirt bikes before the uh, the show. It's kind of like when you start out on like a descent, going down the trail. And you're like, oh, it's not that bad. And yeah. then like you kind of crest over that part you couldn't see. And you're like, oh, fuck me. Yeah. It's like straight down, down. Down into the weeds. Well, so they're going to have to mitigate that somehow or try or have they known this is coming? Do you think they've kind of known? Is it dropping you know off at the, at the same rate as people that are of, the, of age to buy Harleys or lo- losing health care? It feels that way. You know, that's the thing where we're now we're really... Let me back this up. A decade ago, we were talking about this and the sure. baby boomers yeah. and them aging out. And I don't think the, th- or I think the part of that that no one really talked about was it wasn't going to be like a gradual decline. It was just going to be a wall that came one day, or, or I should say a cliff that came one day, because that's where we're heading. I think like we are just, we're just cresting over that hill now and we're going down that cliff. And I think next year it could be worse. Um, as a result of that, demand is shrinking. So they're, they need to, re- again, kind of retool Harley Davidson to, to m- have its production and its operations meeting what the demand is in the market. So as a result, we're seeing them close their Kansas city factory. They're going to, um, consolidate some operations in their York plant, which they laid off about 120 people there last year. Yeah. So, so York, Pennsylvania, York, Pennsylvania, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Kansas City. I wonder where else they have. I didn't know they had a factory. There's in Kansas one in City. Tomahawk, but yeah, Tomahawk. I mean, they've got a couple. Where's in, Tomahawk? I think it's Wisconsin. Okay. Um. 
So they've got a few plants and they're kind of consolidating. So the net effect is they're losing like 800 positions Oof. in Kansas City. That's not But really. adding 450 in in York. Uh, and it's it's going to net out to about uh, 260 hmm. lost. Well, I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, it sucks. And, and the interesting part of it, like late last year, we saw that Harley Davidson and two of its unions had a falling out and had dissolved their partnership agreement. No. And I think this is probably a big part of the reason why, where they're saying like, hey, we need to change some jobs. Hey, we need to we need to lean this thing up and get our stuff figured out. And then, of course, the labor unions don't want to let go of people. And sure, it's, it's a tug of war between the two parties and, and making a sustainable business. So tough times there. Um, we also saw that Harley-Davidson is going to produce its first electric motorcycle within 18 months from now. Mm-hmm. which will be very interesting. Sure. Um, in fact, I think that's kind of like irrefutable proof of climate change in a way, because <laughs> that means yeah. hell froze over. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, like, like, like no, you but, say but, that, but, but imagine, but imagine though, Quentin, like we went back in time five years from now or whatever it was. <clears throat> and I said, Hey, you know who's going to be one of the first brands, first major motor- motorcycle manufacturers to get on the electric train? Harley Davidson. Yeah. You would have bitch slapped me in the face like Claudio. <laughs> well, four years ago, we saw the live wire. So four years ago, I'd have been like, well, yeah, that's plausible. But before that, I think all of us were like, they're doing what? They're sending what to what dealers to do what? Right. When they were showing yeah. that bike around. Yeah. I remember most of us were like, what the F is going on here? That is like, are we in Twilight Zone? Anyway, so yeah, I can, I then, uh, at that time, pre, pre-Livewire, pre for sure, bizarre. But then after that, it's like, well, they're obviously uh, wising up a little bit. But yeah, the fact that they're the biggest motorcycle manufacturer in the, well, are they in the world as far as? No, no, but largest I mean, displacement machines, yeah, yes. Yeah, so that, as of note, that's going to do the thing, right? It's huge. It's a huge deal. Uh, I'll be curious to see what the details of that look like, but it kind of comes back to this thing where if their demographic is falling off a cliff and it's like, you got to do something, you have to change something. You have to go do something new. Like that was my biggest criticism when they came out with the Milwaukee eight bikes, those 13 new bikes that use the new Milwaukee eight motor. Mm. And that's when the, the Dyna and the soft tail kind of got merged into one. And you sit there and you're just like, so sales are down. Things are tanking. The ship is sinking. And your response to that is to make, to do even more of what you're already doing. You're doing even more of what's already not working. So at least, at least this is them doing something different. It's trying out a new <clears throat> strategy. It's it's looking in a different venue. Um, it's going to be a hard road for them, I think, though. Yeah, I agree. It could be hard or if they're... <clears throat> If they're able to put their strength behind the marketing, the key is going to be marketing. Well, the key is going to be the product. If the product's rad, then people will flock to it, but it's going to be tough. They're basically not going to go after <clears throat> their existing clientele at all. Really? They can't. They can't. Right? So that's great, but boy, that's going to be a tough one. Now, with that said, the past few years, we've been seeing a lot. I mean, I'd say between 5 and 10, as the cafe racer thing was kind of reaching its pinnacle, I say about five years ago, Harley started to creep in with like a, there was a chopper culture, kind of a counter culture to the youth that's like riding. There's a lot of women and femme riders that are riding 
at the time, it was a lot of sportsters all of a sudden where you're like, yeah. wait, that's not cool. That's not cool at all. Why are they doing that? That's literally not cool. Those are awful. But it was cool. It was hot. And then you see some tropical culture stuff going on because it's, it's counter, literally counterculture to the to the paradigm that's been around for the past, few, I don't know, 30, 40 years, especially since Harley Davidson got traded on the open, on the uh, 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 publicly traded company. What was that? Late 80s. I think that was when it became not cool any longer. And then, then it started to become just the ubiquitous, I don't know what you'd call it. I would say mid, mid, uh, life survival tool. All right. It's interesting. You say it's not cool. And I think that is a, a you perspective, no doubt, because they're selling those bikes 100% on cool and being part of the cool kids and being in this kind of club that's cool. So it's cool. It's just not cool to you and I. It's cool to a different demographic. The problem being that demographic is aging out. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying though. Cool usually means young and hip to me. Okay. Young, the youth okay. the youth level of young and hip. The youths. The youths. The the youths. The, the these youths. These I said these two youths. <laughs> so that that has changed though. Now all of a sudden it's come back full circle, but not the Harley riding banker that has been existing for the past 30 years. It is now the, <clears throat> I want to get a, uh, older, nastier, grungier, right? If it's a shovel head or, or something like that, even AMF fingers in the air to anything evolution engine based, all that, that's been kind of the cool thing. Go back to the roots, to real Harley roots. <clears throat> so that became kind of hot within the past five years or so. And now there may be a bit of a wave of that. Will you be able to capture those people with an electric bike? I don't know, man. I don't know. I think it's going to be new people in general and it's just got to be hot as shit and we'll see. Yeah. I got so many thoughts. I think it's an article. I think it is. I think it is. But one of the things that, that I'll just chime in and say, like, so much, well, I should back this up. So I was talking to one of my, my Bothan spies at Triumph uh, earlier today, and we were talking kind of about the <clears throat> retro bikes that they have and the new bikes they have, because one of the stories I yeah. want to talk to you about today is this new Speed Triple. New, new Speed Triple? New Speed Triple. No, oh, I didn't know anything about it. Right. Okay. So we'll get there. But it was one of those ideas like where we're seeing them kind of refresh and retool all their kind of modern bikes, but it's really been like the heritage bikes that have been carrying the brand yep, and selling well. And I don't think that's like Triumph doing anything well. I don't think they're like sitting there going like, okay, what's the trend here? Mm. <laughs> they just happen to be yes, at the right. Bonneville's, 10 years from now, Bonneville's are going to be very popular. <clears throat> mm. Yeah, sure. They just happen to have a machine that people latched onto. And it's done very well for them. I think that's what's buoyed the brand over the last 10 years or so because the rest of their shit hasn't been updated. The rest of their shit hasn't been competitive other than the Tiger 800. Name one modern bike to come out of Triumph in the last 10 years that, that was cool and did well. The 675. But that was already out. That was before then. The 675 was still like languishing. The 675 hasn't changed in like 15 years or something stupid like that. <laughs> it came out in 06. I bought one in 06. So it's only been 10 years. 15 11, years or 11 so. 11 years, right? Yeah, like 15 years. <laughs> and then it got an update in like 12 or 13 and it got uglier and kind of meh. But they're still, that's still a pretty hot bike. It's a well done bike. I'll say that. It's a good bike. All I mean, that's the thing. Speed triples, street triples, Daytonas. Yeah, they all work. All the Tigers, they're all good. But they're not. 
but they're all they've also they're not they're not sharp they're not the pointy end of their game it's like it's like it's like when you settled you know like yeah, when sure. you get in your mid-30s you gain a little extra weight <laughs> get a couple more chins you get a cat and you're just like you know what i'm gonna settle for whatever comes along <laughs> you're speaking i'm gonna buy experience. a daytona <laughs> i'm just gonna settle <laughs> Back in the day, I could take the hotness that comes with uh, an MV Augusta F3. <laughs> I could deal with the headache. It was fast. It was beautiful. I had good times. But now, I'm too old for that shit. I'm just going to settle. <laughs> Instead, the the literal is that you've got uh, hypermotards, which is not settling at all. Uh, it's unsettling, if you will. <laughs> thank Willie's yo. Um, All right, yeah, so you're talking to your boss. So talk, talking to my boss this way, we're having this conversation, basically what you and I just said. And and it just kind of occurred to me while we were talking about Harley Davidson on how poorly the Bar and Shield brand capitalized on that movement when they should have soaked that up like a sponge. And I actually wrote a series about this. It's one of the earlier, earlier stories I ever wrote. And it was how to save Harley Davidson. And it's kind of like a three-part plan. And one of the parts was, Look what's going on around you. Why are you not building a cafe racer? Why are you not building a they didn't have scrambler? That. They had one. Or a- the XLCR was one bike. It performed horribly. It's their sought after now. That was one bike. It was like 1977. No, no, no. That was it. That was yeah, the only yeah, thing yeah, they had. Fair enough. But like you are, you are the heritage brand. There's a heritage movement going on in the industry, and it's really not doing anything for you because you're not, you just have to go like one step beyond where you are now to, to tap into it. Whereas other brands like Triumph and Ducati has tried and, yeah. you know, everyone's kind of gotten in on this on certain different levels. And not just tried, they've they've excelled at it. Excelled. I mean, I would say, arguably, even though they call it post-heritage, which is just like... You mean post-authentic? Right. <laughs> yeah, that's... Right, post-whatever, Ducati's done good with the Scrambler. They have. It's not fantastic, but they've done pretty good with it. They did great with their uh, Sport Classics in the beginning. They were before their time with the before Sport Classic, right. right? Right. So now, if you have a Sport Classic, you're doing well because your bike's worth as much as it was new, which is bizarre. Um, Triumph's done great. And that last redesign, which I hate because it has fake fucking carburetors, but let's let's call it what it is, which is a pretty damn good, good bike. bike. Right? I just, um, just to interject, I talked to, to Andy, Andy Cohn, who went to the Speedmaster launch for us. Speedmaster. Loved it. Love that bike. What's a Speedmaster? I don't even fucking know. It's a Triumph. It's a Bonneville. <laughs> it's another Bonneville. Okay, got it. But, you know, he's a, his regular ride is an X Diablo. So that's kind of like where his head's at. Oh, Con? Can't? Cone. Cone. Yeah, yeah, sorry. All right. I didn't Cone! Cone! I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't understand who you're talking about. Oh, yeah, sure. I didn't realize he actually bought an X Diablo. He posts pictures of it. Yeah. And I kind of thought it was just from press intros. No, no, no. I didn't realize he actually owns one. That's you know, really you know interesting. You sold it to him? Who? Carlin. Oh, right. Okay. I, yeah. I mean, I can imagine. Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Good for him. But yeah, so you think about sportier guy, but kind of more, I wouldn't say cruiserish, but in yeah. that kind of space. He's like, loved it. I don't think he would buy one. But he didn't dislike but it. Didn't he dislike didn't dislike it. He didn't like, leave going, oh, that's so much bike. worse. Yeah. Got yeah. it. So look for that review on ANR. It's interesting. Like, I just, I just, that's the thing for me, like, that kind of bothers me about Harley is like, the zeitgeist of the industry kind of came into your wheelhouse 
and you closed the door. Like you just no, didn't, you couldn't, were, it was so, it would have been so, so easy. Deep. If you're making 300,000 motherfucking motorcycles a year and they're, but and they're you, going gangbusters, you're like, our heritage is going to eclipse no, everybody else's heritage. But Look at our heritage. But that's I'm going to stuff this heritage that's right the thing. down your throat. For the last decade, we've been talking about how they need to tap into a new generation. And here's a new generation of biker biking in a way that is so close to what they're already doing. It's like, it's like you literally T-balled up customers for them and somehow Harley Davidson took a swing and missed. Are you making well, a they basketball even, reference now? Oh my God. You, we're going to sit down after the show and we're going to go over like basic sports stuff. <laughs> we're just going to be like, this is a baseball diamond. This is a basketball court. <laughs> oh my God. You're not high lying, are you? <laughs> Highlight is a miserable sport. <laughs> Pelote. How do you put a J into that word? <laughs> like two A's. Anyways. All right. So, well, one one thing I'll, I'll try and get you back on track. You were saying you had a plan for Harley. Yes. And, and one of the things was to capitalize on your heritage. Capitalize on the heritage. also with an idea of looking, which they didn't do, and now, now they're fucked. What else would you have said to do so, at, and 10 years ago or within the past yeah, five? Yeah. So, so one of the things was expand what you have already. And that was the idea of add in a cafe racer, add in a street tracker, add in a whatever heritage thing scrambler is kind of percolating at that time as, as it was, because it would be so easy. You already kind of have the bikes that people are kind of oh, doing they this did with. that though. What was the 1200, no, really the one though. that they raced? They had the, they had the XR 1200 and then they got rid of it. Right. Because it wasn't selling. I don't think they did that bike right. I agree, but. You, I, I would buy an XR 1200. Just going to say that. They're kind of neat. I, I would buy I've one. I've ridden one on a racetrack. I, I rode one, uh, I think it was Chase McFarland's bike at PIR. Probably said it on the podcast before because it was so rad. And I rode Chase's, actually his ex Buell. I can't remember the one. The one that, the same one that um, Danny Eslick won the championship on. Chase had a, a level, the high 11, level. The 1125? Yeah. Not the 1190, but 1125. And that was actually pretty good. So thinking about the Harley era-ish stuff, because I think that bike was even around pre... Yeah. I mean, let's face it. Even though we have ta- should talk to Eric Buell a lot, he was trying like hell to get that company to wake the fuck up. Now, he was doing it with ugly, poorly engineered designs, but he was trying to do something that was different. And if you look at a lot of the, uh, the, the XB whatevers, they've withstood the yeah. test of time better than a lot of the Harleys. Like, I'd buy one of those, and that's really strange for me to say, <laughs> but I would, right? The problem with, with, with Eric was he was trying to get Harley to get out of bed, but he was doing it to be like, guys, I made some Spam and Jello. Get out of bed. Come to breakfast. <laughs> and he was like, no one wants that. No one wants your Spam and Jello, sir. Uh, bacon, eggs, hashed potatoes, maybe some yogurt. I don't know. No, Spam and Jello. Gross. Classic. Gross. <laughs> I got that lime green jello. Do you have any you Vegemite? Like? <laughs> oh, God. Well, mince, so. mince pie. With some Vegemite, maybe. <laughs> oh, now you went down a whole dark, dark thing. <laughs> that is dark. Said night. <laughs> All right. Well, that I'm. What I'm saying is, there, there wasn't for a lack of trying. There was some trying there. It no, was just poorly not, done. No, I don't think there was nearly enough trying. It, that's like, I was trying to think of like something funny to trying say. Trying that was just a shitty, is what it was. was. Just a <laughs> shitty job of trying. Like, if that's trying, <laughs> then just go home, just quit. Like, well, you're just, and that's unfortunately where they're at if they're gonna have to start shutting down some stuff so so i think they had to grow the the line that they had to include that demographic i think that's an easy bridge to cross fuck it if ducati can make an adventure bike harley davidson can make a street tracker and a cafe racer yeah just full stop yeah 
Um, you are correct. Or, if, or put it, if Ducati can make a cruiser, Harley Davidson can make a cafe racer. Harley Davidson can make a street tracker. Harley Davidson can make a scrambler. Um, I don't know, man. They they should I'm be able to. They, like, as I just a business, don't think so. As a business, they should be able to. Able to as oh. a group of people and an organization. Obviously, they're incapable yeah, of it. But only when they're backed into a freaking corner like that no, now. So baby's in a corner. Baby's going to crap out some sort of something, and it might not be a a crotch rocket because that's obviously not the hot thing. But yeah, you know, like when you say street tracker, maybe something, anything. Something. Right? Look look at look at what was hot right then. And it's not that it's not even like a standard deviation from what they're doing. It's like right there. If you looked at an XLCR right now, look look at that design from whatever that was, seventy seven mm-hmm. through seventy nine, and that was a what was is it Willie Willie G Davidson? Yeah. It was a Willie design thing. And if you made that now, trying to use one of their motors that's not as shitty as the rest of them, I don't know which one that would be. But a V twin, that's a forty-five degree. You try it, but I bet it, you can make one super rad, and it would be like making a fifty-seven Chevy. But I guess that's what we're talking about here, right? I mean, you could retro many things. There's the retro of like a a PT loser um, that has a retro looking. They were trying to evoke a bit of the old school looking car, and that's that was awful on every level. But they sold a bunch of them, I think they though. sold a ton of them yeah. because that's how bad the American public is. But I could see that happening on the Harley side. To, if they made something like that properly, priced it well, priced it well is the key, you know, got got it into the minds and hearts of the millennials. And I don't think racing necessarily is even the place, even though that's where I would want to see it. And it would have to be good enough. It would have to also be good enough to to be functional as a racer. But it, that wouldn't be the key. It would be just trying to plop it into whatever eyeballs they can from a, from a millennial Gen X standpoint. Do you think Gen Xers... I mean, we keep talking about millennials because that's right now that's hot. Oh, yeah. But the Gen Xers, I mean, I'm Gen Xer. This no, is no, no. where we're at. You right? need to understand that Gen Xers are in the motorcycle black hole of their life right now. Yeah. So we're talking about people that are mid-20s to maybe almost 40. And you have to look at where people are in that time in their life. They're getting married. They're having kids. They're buying houses. They're saving for their future. We, we see it in the sales. We see in the demographic data. There is a dip in the 30-year-old era, era. Oh, wait, wait, area. wait. Hold on a second. You're you're saying millennial is 20-something to 30-something right now, right? I mean, there's a lot. I, of, there's I a, am at the trailing edge no, 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 no. Of, of Gen X, and I'm 40. No, I'm at the trailing edge of Gen X. And you're? 35. Got it. I mean, here's the other thing, too. Understand that the generational definitions, there's a bit of... Yeah, overlap. I get it. There's a little bit of that, but but, but Gen Xers are are people that are buying houses, having kids, planning for their family's future, saving for college, yeah. looking at retirement, trying to go up the corporate ladder. They haven't quite had the midlife crisis yet that usually brings them well, back. And into so, motorcycling. do you think within the next five to ten years, there that might actually end up happening? My biggest worry is that in five to ten years, Gen Xers don't come back into the industry. Yeah, and I, that, I, and then that millennials legitimate. don't come back into the industry. Yeah, because they legitimate. never were in the industry. Yeah, and that's the death of motorcycling. That's how I see it. I don't see it that bad, but I can imagine that will have an effect. It's <laughs> scary because it's it's like <clears throat> you have to kind of go through it's um it's like the classic hero story, like the 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 Greek hero story format. Is you have the hero. There's a food cart down here that's pretty good with the oh hero, not hero. Okay. 
man, that hams has really just got you. <laughs> I fed Quentin an apple and some crackers before the show. And you could just see sorry. like the blood sugars just no, I'm at sorry. peak capacity and he's ready to get it all gone. We're at, I'm at peak, peak pun, peak stupid. Yeah. Mm. You're kind of always up. <laughs> I'm sorry. All that's, right. So that's just a plateau. Back. That's Greek plateau hero stupid, story. sir. You're losing me a Greek hero, but let's go. But it's just that idea of like, you know, you have to go through this. They have an up and then they have a down. They have to go through like a redemption period before they come back up again. The 30 year old area. Yeah. Age demographic. Is that like redemption, finding your way through the forest kind of thing? And I would say right now that's there. There's a lot at the leading edge of that that are just starting to come out of it. The people that were born in the early 60s, I've got a few are now just coming out of that haze of shit, the right? 60s? Mm-hmm. A Gen X. Early 60s, right? 65-ish. Yeah. So after we do the sports thing, if we're going to sit down and look at generational okay, fair divides. Enough. I, I had to look this up recently because I was curious about what I, what I was considered because I knew I was like right in the, in the middle, and I am. Gen X is generally... I think the best definition of Gen X are the progeny of baby boomers. Yeah. And that's people that were born in the 60s, for Christ's sake. The baby boomers are in the 40s, and a lot of them are have kids young, and it was like 20s to 30s, so in the 60s, for sure. So war, right? But birth near war. I'm thinking about my parents. My Both my parents were born in, born in the early uh, 40s, and I was, well, they had me super late, but I was born in the late 70s. So I'm, that's another reason why I'm in a really weird spot because I have a lot of the affectations of the of that boomer, late older boomer, and then I grew up with playing Oregon Trail on the computer. So it's a you know, and the same as you. I think yeah. you you and I have a very similar, interesting cross generational view. Which is and yeah, play. I think it's an we're advantage. Old and we're nerdy. Well, it's true. We're young and we're nerdy. Yeah, ish. But anyway, so bottom line is, I think there whatever it is, the people. That were born in the 60s, that came of age in the late 80s, 90s, have gone through all the bullshit and might just now start to be having, and they might have the number one disposable income, number two, the gumption to, to get into it. And now they don't want to do it because it's dangerous. And no, I, I don't even think it's the dangerous part. I think they don't have the income. I don't. Yeah, I don't think yeah, they have the yeah, financial resources because yeah. I think they should. They got but they their don't. Yeah. they got their savings cleared out yep. through the recession. They saw their stock portfolio disappear. They don't have a four hundred one k. Their IRA is totally shot to hell. And now they're rebuilding. And yeah. when you're rebuilding, you don't go out and buy shit. At least you shouldn't. Yeah. And that's the issue. Okay. Good. So that being said, the next thing Harley Davidson should do is understand the limitations of the of the brand, and then understand that they need to grow beyond it. So if I was Harley Davidson. At least back then, I would have built out the lineup to include these segments that are very already very close to what we're already producing. And then I would look at where can I grow through acquisition? My Harley Davidson brand is going to take me only so far. Should I be looking at like an Eric Buell racing to have a sport bike component? Should I be looking at, this is the time they bought MV Augusta. Should I be looking at MV Augusta to have another premium product, Italian thing? Maybe I go and I acquire a scooter company or, or whatever that is and grow instead of organically grow through acquisition and become a house of brands that can better weather the fluctuations in the motorcycle segment. And that's segments. what they were on their way to doing they in, were trying. in 08. They were trying. Right? Yes. And that MV purchase, when I was at Sizz, they came. I think I've, mine have said, told you the story and on the podcast when I'm not sure, but there was one day, a particularly painful day where we had just built 
uh, a brand new, we just built a brand new motor that out of a fresh engine block and the block on a SIS was a cylinder head and cylinders, hideously complex, $30,000 piece, $30,000 to, to manufacture this piece, to get it machined, everything. It was That's like a Harley. <laughs> it was horrible. And a uh, Conrad bolt got left loose and in front of the Harley people, it shit itself at PIR. And that was a, that was a huge, like crux time for SIS. And that was a big uh, problem. And I remember that being a huge deal. It was like, holy shit, we have engineering, not, not higher ups, not muckety mucks, but just like feeler people that are like, well, we want to see what this person's doing. Stephen, yeah. But understandably, they were looking around like, what, what are we doing? Well, let's go have a look around. Just recently I was, uh, somebody posted up a few pictures and I was on one of these Facebook pages, like road racers of the millennium or the 80s and 90s road racers something or other it's a group or whatever that a lot of people will just feed pictures and stories and whatnot of the frankly what now is the heyday of ama racing in the 90s seeing a picture a few pictures of the harley vr 1000 yeah and like i mean a really neat thing for sure even now with hindsight kind of rose colored glasses of of hindsight kind of a neat machine but not does didn't look the part didn't didn't do the thing right it was barely competitive and looked like what somebody would try and make the xlcr now right it just didn't function it the, the fairing looked like it came off of something in the 60s it was it was stupid but you know again hindsight being 2020 they were trying they were trying they were thinking about it but they never fell followed through with it you know they created like 50 of those bikes and sold them out of quote unquote Poland or something stupid to have homologation, whatever. And it was just lame. It was fucking lame. And it, it angered me to, to know that in this industry, the Harley was that lame, that they couldn't really try and make a go of it to make their dealership sell the thing. But I don't think they can. And I think that brings the, the crux of this is the, the overlying crux of this is it's the dealers that are the bigger problem than it is the Harley Davidson company. Well, I think the dealers are always the problem in, in the sense that the dealers are the part of the brand that the customer faces and the customer touches. Yep. So when you talk about any of these motorcycle brands, what we're really talking about is their, the dealer level interactions for the most part. But I agree with you. And that was kind of what I was doing in this, in this series was saying like the Harley Davidson brand comes with a lot of limitations. And one of them is the dealer network that it has. And those dealers have cultivated not only a certain image, but also a certain clientele. And that's part of what, caused Buell to fail. Yeah. Because a lot of these dealers were just like, I'm going gonna, gonna to sell what? Like, that's not what my guys are showing up yep. for to buy. And that's not like what I'm, you know, that's what I signed up for. Yep. I don't want this bike in my showroom. And then, and they're not going to sell. And either they're not going to sell because it's too far outside of the core or it's not going to sell because they just, they're resistant to it. And it's like, I don't even want to invest the time in it. Yeah. They let it languish. Whereas you have certain dealers, and there's only a few of them. One of them's here in Portland. It's uh, Latis. So George Latis saw, I think he's been seeing the writing on the wall for a while. I'm not saying he's clairvoyant, but he's smarter than most. Very savvy. He picked up Triumph about yep. four or five years ago and has done, I think, pretty well. Not um, unimaginably awesome, but has done pretty well. Understands that that's part of his 
deal is that he's got to do something and probably wisely so because I think he, they've also watched uh, the, the Harleys languish in this area whereas Triumph is pretty popular and you know some of those dealers some of those Harley dealers they seem to have their their heads removed from their buttockses but not many yeah yeah, and I tough. wouldn't even say those don't. They, it's not like they have their heads up their asses. They just know what they know, and they're not looking. They they're trusting in the company, right? You put a lot of trust when you have a company that big that does that much shit for you. You you buy all in. You get their dealer management system so that they can watch all your levels of stock parts and how much money you're making and this and that. And they come and tell you, hey, your service department should be doing this and your sales department should be doing that. I mean, Harley has a lot of information for the dealers, a lot of help, everything that you, you know, from from my standpoint as a, a manufacturer rep, it was like a dreamscape to be able to have something like that. Whereas on the Ducati, we had nothing and it sucked because we had to, we were like redheaded stepchildren with the biggest market in the in the world, but weren't getting the help that we needed to make the product go well whereas in the harley side on the service side on the on the after sales side it, i talked to a couple of those reps and was like what you can do what you can see what you can you can help in what way it was amazing so if they have the abilities and the sh- and the shops have that but then it's the culture change of oh you've got to sell this thing that you're not used to selling that's different than these other these all these cookie cutter cruisers or cookie cutter long distance cruisers Right. I mean, what are we going to call the baggers? It's a long distance cruiser. So that's it. That's what they got. And that man, it's culture change and it's culture shock. So here's an interesting kind of thought experiment. So the, the Indian, the FTR 750, the flat track bike, there's a lot of talk about a street model. Yeah, sure. And that's like pretty easy to envision in an Indian dealership. Now imagine Harley doing the same thing as sticking one of those in its dealerships. Is that a bike that is a failure or a success. I don't think it's going to sell well. No, I It's don't. just a little too like, I, I almost don't even know why Harley Davidson does flat track racing. I don't know what it does for the brand, to be really honest. Oh, it did a lot when they were the only one doing it, right? Yeah, but, was, it, are, but is any of those racing activities translating into a sale? No, probably okay. not. not. Not a lot. I mean, sure, there were little, but not enough, not enough to make any. No one's no. going to go, oh, let me put it this way. No one's going down to like the Indy Mile watching a bunch of big XRs go flying around and being like, honey, family, we're going to go to the dealership tomorrow. We're all buying Harleys. Do you think that's happening with Indian? That would be really interesting to see. Does that is that moving the needle with Indian after they decided to spend a shit ton of money? And- I think it does in the sense that we're talking about Indian. And as a new brand, as an upstart, yeah, exposure and brand awareness are important. And if you get to come in, especially when you're going head-to-head for Harley Davidson on sales. If you can come in and show Harley Davidson up on this thing yeah, that they've right. kind of dominated for decades, yep. it it does, I think, create sort of a thing. Now, five, 10 years from now, when that newness and that freshness has worn off. The new, new. The new, new. I don't think that's going to move the needle very much. Yeah. All right. So. Fair enough. But that, that brings you a question is like Indian, I guess Indian's a different model. So they don't necessarily have to do anything in particular, but they're they have to be careful about what they're up to. Just not as much as Harley. Scott Wine and company need to be very careful about how they build the Indian brand because I look at Harley Davidson as a brand that painted itself into a corner because they didn't have a lot of foresight and they chased the immediate sale. Indian has to make sure that they resist that that opportunity. I think of the days when there was 
a chance that somebody was going to resurrect the Indian brand and get John Britton to make the kind of industrialized the the V one thousand at the, this was back in the nineties, and the he was working on a single variant, and that would have been like the rebirth in a weird way of Indian. Can you imagine what that would have done then? It probably would have petered out. But Do you want me to say the most unpopular thing I've ever said in my entire life? Go for it. At least in motorcycling? Sure. Britain's overrated. No, you're right. Britain's overrated. And it sucks as a... As a motorcycle, as a one super, of the most overrated motorcycles ever created. No, as a super Britain fanboy, I mean, you haven't been to my house in a while, but... I have the Guggenheim poster of yeah. that thing. I have every book. I have a children's book. I've been a I've been fawning over that bike for a long time. But if you are a pragmatic thinker, you have to look at what was accomplished with that bike and where it was raced. And it wasn't even I mean, it was fast and it's Brad and it makes all the sounds. It does the things and it does pretty well. But it wasn't even close to a Ducati from the era. Not even I mean, it was just like barely close to Ducati from that era. And a lot of people are like, no, no, it won this and won that. Nah, look at what it was racing. Glorified global Medium club sized races. fish in a very small pond. Yeah, it was. And it was an amazing thing that he, what was amazing oh. about the Britain was what he did with what he had Absolutely. and how he created that. Amazing story, amazing human being, a beautiful motorcycle <clears throat> to look at. I've been, I've go, uh, just fawned and drooled over the one in the Barber Museum. Sure. Uh, it's amazing. Our buddy, our buddy Rennie, uh, Skaysburg yeah. got to ride one and I was like that is that would be the most yep. pinnacle thing I could ever do yeah, in my career sure. overrated bike yeah it's an overrated motorcycle in terms of what it was actually capable of doing and performing with that said it just took what I was thinking and this is what, what I brought up is if they were able to industrialize it if if he was going to get some money and then say the Indian brand was like all right we're gonna we're gonna bring this on let's just just play this yeah one. yeah, yeah the right? what if game right they could have ended up with a motor that was pretty impressive with a chassis that was pretty impressive because even though the Britain <clears throat> with its front end that was basically the same thing as a Vincent Black Shadow from the late 40s early 50s you know everybody's like oh look what he did with the front end well sorry but that's been done before but Eric Buell all right and it's no. the same thing and anyway what he did at the time was utilize carbon fiber on a level that not many people had done and did it in a really good way. He did an amazing job with aero. He did an amazing job with packaging the rear radiator, which hasn't been done very often. Failed miserably on Moto Sis because they did not engineer it well. Um, they he did an amazing job of engineering a, a V twin, which you know is the best thing. You know me, I love my V twins, and they did a great job with that. Awesome on every other aspect of it, but it just wasn't. It wasn't gonna be because they didn't have the anywhere near the amount of money or time that they could to make it beat at the time the 851s and not long after that the 916 era Ducatis which were just like up leaps and bounds ahead of that straight up right well then but, how big was that even that 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 class to be to be fair to to put it in perspective so like you're you're comparing it to Ducatis cuz it's in that it was in a British American racing bears series whatever yeah. that was yeah racing against triples and other weird weird stuff and it wasn't that big and i think at daytona when they come and race it was against people that were like also also rands or you know like not it wasn't coming up against ama superbike and it wasn't going against world superbike if you want to boil it down that's right. it and that's where that and that's bike, why i say it's overrated where it's like mediocre results in a also ran class and then the what they did with the isle of man pretty impressive but 
it's a that's a different that's a different thing, right? So I would I would have to look. It would be interesting to see the results of the Isle of Man stuff. Unfortunately, all my brain thinks about is farmer's death. So I don't really think about what they accomplished when I went there. But the fact that the dude had the cojones to do that oh, and had the amazing ability to create what he, that's absolutely. what's amazing about absolutely. the Britain. Like you're saying, all of these things that we can just be effusive about every aspect of that thing, because it's amazing. But as far as being rated as a, an awesome motorcycle, no, but if you had money and you gave it 10 years of development, holy shit, it would have out Panagalled a Panagale 10 years before the Panagale. Cause it was already pretty high level, even in the early nineties, as far as, Airbox as frame, interesting front end, low frontal area, slippery, carbon wheels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was an amazing thing. But yeah, not not as awesome as a lot of people like to to tout it as for sure. Right. Okay. So, so enough hate on that. If we have any listeners left after that. I know, man. <laughs> that's a that's a tough one. That's a super tough one. That's getting real. Yeah, that's just getting real. And I'm sorry that we had to get real like that. It almost makes me it's like my, my part of my heart's going. Oh, but it's yeah, that's that's real. I wouldn't um, kick one out of bed for eating crackers. I'll tell you that. No, right? not at all. I mean, it can you imagine numero uno on the how b- many the bikes that I want to ride? How many of my unborn own. children would I sell yeah. into slavery? Like it's, not good slavery, like yeah. bad slavery, yeah. like <laughs> nuclear waste slavery. Oh God. How many of those would I sell to get one of those? At least those two bikes or three. In my garage? At least two or three. Oh, like at least I'll just round it out to an even dozen. Firstborn. <laughs> yeah. Like even like the ones like I kind of like. If they like, if you like them that much, they'll be back eventually. Right. Yeah, you can fine. buy them back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so awful. True story, bro. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> let, let's, let's go back to where we were. Bottom line is Indian didn't do that. Indian has kind of bounced around and done some other various entities have owned it. Now it's actually kind of potentially legitimate with its, is it Polaris? Yeah. Polaris, Polaris yeah. ownership. They killed victory. And interesting that they killed, thinking about this, thinking about what's going on with Harley. They were like looking at what's going on and they're like, oh, victory. No, that's defeat. We're going to get rid of that. Because victory makes, wasn't going anywhere. It's that much more prescient that they did that, right? Yeah. That for me is a very, that was a very easy decision to make, as it was for Harley Davidson to sell MV Augusta and to close yeah, down sure. Very easy decision to make at the time. Like, oh, so the company won't exist a year from now if we don't do this? Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Sure. And, and looking at Victory, it's like, oh, I can spend $100 million to make Victory kind of better. Meh. Or I can spend $100 million and grow out Indian, and it can take out a sizable portion of Harley Davidson's market. Okay, let's Okay, do yeah, yeah, I know which one I'm, I'm spending my money on. Yeah, absolutely. That's now, no if I were Indian, I'd be making an inline four-cylinder, long ways, and the not not transverse but longitudinal, like the the original Indian fours. Oh yeah, yeah yeah. Really? Just, oh yeah, I'd do something weird. Well, that That's was super uh, weird. That was a CIS thing, right? I mean, it would you could do it now, knowing what I know from the CIS effort to make a, a longitudinal four-cylinder. Yeah, I'm fairly certain it could be done pretty rad. Uh, especially if you don't use anything that Sizz was trying to use when they did that, but just the four cylinder, because it's so unique. A mechanical signature is a big deal, man. And uh, there's not that much you can do nowadays uh, that that gives you that mechanical signature. We're seeing how hard it's been for Ducati to let go of the V twin to make this V four. That's part of their mechanical signature. So was dry clutches gone, and so was uh, trellis frames gone. So they're having to continue with Desmo as their one single thing that's their uh, their mechanical signature. It's like BMW getting rid of the the boxer twin, and that's not going to happen. Or making symmetrical headlights. 
<laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> good, good call. But you know what I mean. That's yeah. that little yeah, bits yeah. like that do make a difference in how, especially in a motorcycle realm, because your engine is part of your style. It's part of your your verve. You know. So if if Indian did that, that'd be pretty rad. I'd buy one, but it would have to be rad. It couldn't be just a big old cruiser like say the uh triumph um oh man i don't even know what the name of it they're so awful the rocket yeah oh it's like the worst of everything (laughs) (laughs) right but bitching bitching a ride in their own awful way they're just big and heavy and ugly and gross but the engine you know that that engine yeah put it in a car that'd be better off i was gonna say like if i have to drive a car i'm gonna get a gold wing you're right good call okay going back full circle that yeah okay we've burned up a lot i'm sorry if i've tangent it off i don't don't know where we are though okay um we were gonna talk about triumph briefly new speed triple coming yeah so speed triple speed triple this is street triple right they already did the new street triple did they? Yeah, they did. The 7... Oh, yeah, with 800cc version. Okay. Yeah. So the new Speed Triple, which is the 1000 variant, probably same engine, though. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be very similar to what they did with the new Tigers and kind of what they did Rawr. with the Street Triple, other than the fact that they came off a different motor hmm. um, or a revamped motor, I should say. But it's going to be another one of those like evolution, not revolution kind of things yeah like we're like yeah i guess you get you you took everything about that bike and just kind of made it better but still gonna be a 1050 there's so many rumors in the industry about a new thousand sport bike that was going to be a platform for the naked bike no it's been going for a while it's almost honda v4-ish right that they've they're gonna come back but they're like no we're gonna do this moto 2 thing and which make, doesn't make a ton of sense rest to on me. laurels there i guess i don't know i don't know i really i really don't know what's going on in um you gotta be somewhere there no i got i got, I got it tweeted by someone that's not that fast on a motorcycle <laughs> sorry people have to go through my my twitter feed and figure out who that was now <laughs> um yeah i just don't know what they're doing I, I i don't see the big picture of that brand i i see them resting on the heritage side of things i see them kind of languishing with their modern bikes like like update one of your modern bikes not just like you know revise it and put like a different logo on the tank or whatever but like give me the speed triple was the bike I was hoping this for because you look at how hot the Street Fighter segment is. Not not necessarily in volume, but in terms of new bikes and new products that are coming out. You have yeah. the Super Duke, you have the Twenty Eleven Hundred, Ducati's looking at a V Four Street Fighter. Heard that here first, and so I sit there and I'm just like Speed Triple, like get in the game. Not a bad bike. I looked. I almost bought one. Not a bad bike, but not anywhere near the level that that segment has risen to. You'd rather have a nine thirty nine. Hyper Motard than a 1050 triple. Yeah. That, that's the deal. Yeah, easy. That's of note. That I ended can... up buying a 1098 Street Fighter because I didn't yeah. like the speed triple enough. Sure. Um, great bike, though. And that's the thing where I said, like, good bones. Just give me something. Like, give me some more power. Give me some... Just make it lighter. Just make it just make it fucking work. Make it look different, maybe. Uh, just Like, that was for me, like, the headlights. Just I know the headlights are kind of, like, that's the thing. Yeah. That's kind of why you buy it. Sure. That look, that classic Street Fighter look. But I could probably get over it. But I just sit there and just like, man, that bike is such a missed opportunity. And that segment is is hot. And there's good margin there. And you can do some cool shit. And you just kind of just punt the ball. Back to the old mince pies and aspic for them. They're yeah. just kind of like, meh. Meh. 
The, the upper Mer. lip is definitely stiff there. Like we'll ver- fight them on the beaches. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's Churchill. But I can imagine. Okay, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> ooh, a lot of references today. Um. So yeah, we'll 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 see. It's gonna come out in the next. That'll probably come out around the time this show comes out. Good luck to him. Yeah, I mean, I I, I hope it's I hope it's rad. I want to go ride it. Sure. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being poopy and it's gonna blow me out of the water, but. It's kind of like the same thing where like the tigers, the new tigers, I'm like, yeah, I really want to go ride them. I'm sure they're great. I just have trouble getting excited about it. I have a really hard time getting excited about recycled shit. It's the same reason I have a pushback with the Panigale V4. You recycled that look. I want that new, new. There isn't a good transition to this because it's not new, new at all, but we were going to talk about the Dakar. The for, Dakar. For, for all of like three seconds. We could ch- talk about Triumph triples at the Dakar. No, we can't because the Dakar went to 450 singles and it is kind of lame that they're still just doing the 450 singles, even though they're rad. My uh, in in the feed during during Dakar, everybody's kind of in a in a Dakar fervor. So there's a lot of uh, classic Dakar stuff coming out, and there's the pictures of all the old uh, twins that raced Dakar from the Honda uh, V twin and the Yamaha parallel twin and the Ducati V twin or well Kajiva, Kajiva yeah. but it's Ducati. Um, that era was like amazing and those bikes were super rad and it's kind of sucks that it, it's gone away from that to just kind of devolve into this i don't know bitching singles but it's still just a 450 single you want the for me the idea that somebody is wrestling around this gigantic 400 pound three to 400 pound Something i don't know literally called an elephant yeah right <laughs> that's true uh this that is kind of a neat thing but actually looking at one of the old routes or actually the first one it was like 78 or 79 through algeria holy shit that was a nasty race man in the 80s that was i mean i know what they're doing now is extreme but I don't know, man. The going through that part of North Africa, fuck me running. That had to be gnarly, gnarly, gnarly. That's where right? they stopped. <laughs> I know. But people, people were getting shot. Quentin. I know, I know. But it's I, anyway. Just, seeing that kind of gives it like gives you a little bit of pause to think about it. With that said, these people that are doing this are fucking warriors. I'm yeah. costing no, a lot. Yeah. It must be the hands. Like, I apologize. Everything you just said, like I just disagreed with because I think the race is awesome. Yeah, I think the bikes are cool. Not too bad the you venue. don't cover it that much. Then why do? <laughs> it's asphalt and rubber for a reason. Yeah, fair enough. Well, they're on asphalt on their in their what do they call the in betweens the liaisons? Yeah, the li- aren't they doing? Stages. There's lots of rubber little rubberlets and, and asphalt going on there and there. Yeah, no, I followed uh, Lyndon Poskett. Uh, did you, do you know, if, no. All right. So there's one gentleman that does the Male Moto, which is the, the, you are the only rider you are on a bike that you have to take care of. So when you pit, nobody else can touch your bike. <laughs> You're fucked. <laughs> it's re- really gnarly. And Lyndon did a really good job of, uh, showing how that worked. And it can, you, you know how hard it is for you to get, uh, any amount of data from the car because that's yeah. one of the reasons why you don't cover it is because it's so difficult. Well, Lyndon was doing this and it was of note. Most people were like watching his feed because he was getting the information out better than any other feed, car or bike. He was able to somehow, some way upload the stuff and he, he admitted it during the thing. It was difficult to do this, but he would do uh, onboard stuff and then afterwards talk about what's going on and you could see how extreme and what toll it was taking on him over the course of two weeks. 
fantastic job. Really interesting thing. And if if you're, I posted it a couple times on the Facebook page. Like, hey, you on on the two enthusiasts Facebook, you you got to watch this person because it was amazing. So I I like that. What the, I think of is the most of note on Dakar, and really where where we can kind of end the conversation is Honda came out in typical Honda fashion with a big budget, lots of riders, lots of awesome, and didn't win it. And I think that's gnarly because Honda very rarely fails that badly. But Dakar is not something you can win with money only. No. And I, we, we oh, I forget what launch we were at. We were talking about this. I mean, there's a couple things going on there. One, I think the learning curve is very, very tall. And I think you need to do a few years in there to understand what you can and can't do and how to manage that, those teams. And that's, that's the challenge that Honda's at, but also understand like, so KTM just won their 17th straight <laughs> with their third string rider. I mean, like you're going against a company that is yeah. like deeply entrenched in this and has done the thing and has made this a perfection and their culture it it lives and breathes dirt, whereas I think Honda, its culture has gone off into petri dish culture for the past twenty years. Yeah. So they haven't really had a a culture like that any longer. Well, yeah, and I, but I would go one step further and say, from a conspiracy theorist Ooh. level, oh, I like it. KTM has been with the Dakar when the Dakar wasn't cool, when the Dakar wasn't followed. Yeah. And and it is very, the ASO, which is the organizer of the Dakar, is very French, very European. And it is one of those things where it's like... Oh, you have illegal fuel, Honda? Oh. Oh, you're three <laughs> feet outside of the proper refueling area. Fine. You know, points. Points yeah. taken off, time added. Yeah. Oh, Oh, you're doing something wrong, KTM. You know, guys, maybe, maybe just kind of move no, the bike, so you think move the bike you, three feet. But you, you don't have any corroborated evidence of this. You're just there's it's a just lot a of there's a lot of talk amongst the competitors, and we even saw it this year during the Dakar. Oh, uh, yeah. I forget which rider it was. I think it was the Yamaha rider was straight up saying like everyone's getting penalties except for the KTM guys, but everyone's doing the same thing. Like yeah. this is not rigged, but it's clear that Team Orange is favored. And that's been an accusation for a long time, and I don't think it's necessarily unfair, but I also think, you know what, KTMs will operate at a, a level of game that the others aren't, and they're playing catch-up. And I think they're a little upset that they are putting in so much effort and resources and not getting the results that they wanted. And that's something to talk about. Yamaha wasn't that big, but they had a, an effort. And there was a point where one of the dudes was leading the race. Finally. And I was... Because they've been I, an embarrassment the last few years. Yeah. So that was cool to see. And, you know, part of me, I'm a Honda fanboy for sure. I have a lot of Hondas, but I would have liked to seen Yamaha spank them all. That would have been really rad. Yeah. And have it not be Honda. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, hey, guys. The, hey, the, I'm the over irony. here. Uh, but with that said, the poor guy that was leading his crash... If, Adrian, yeah. If you can see that, that was really gnarly in a sand wash. And it just was like... And then he got back on the bike. Oh, my God. And got like 10 feet and was like, oh, no, no, no. My back is definitely broken. Yeah. Gnarly, man. Yeah. That race is insane. Like, it was that, a French guy, right? What was his yeah. name? Van Buren. Yeah. Van Amazing. Barn. Amazing. Like, pretty cool. That Yamaha had it and they had a rider who could do that. Not nasty. That's all we need to say about it. But I just wanted to make sure we chatted about it because I still think it's rad and I would love to be part of it in some way. I'd love that. I think it's cool. 
Yeah, it's one of those races that I've always wanted to. I don't think I would want to um, have to cover it live. Yeah, sure. For like Anar, but I would love to. Adrian Van Beveren. That's Beveren? who it was. But it's one of those races that I would love to go and experience firsthand as like like travel with the team or, or be embedded. Yeah, or, that's that's what I would say. That's what, it would be it'd be too much work. It'd be too hard to to do it as a journalist and expect to get like results. Maybe if I was doing like a a story that would be published after the fact. Or I can imagine like being a mechanic, but dude, that's two weeks. And that's yeah. just that's just for it's, that right In the then. middle of nowhere. You almost have to be in it for a year. I have a friend, his name is Scott, and Scott was a uh, a technician in Kansas City for a long time. Now is a KTM rep, Spears, and he was a, a, somehow, some way involved with a KTM effort, uh, you know, like a privateer deal for years. For and every year, I'd watch the Facebook feed of of Scott doing his thing and thinking, man, what an amazing thing that must be to be part of to to build a bike like that to go now and but it got him to the point where he was so revered that he ended up with a job as a service rep for ktm which is really rad i'd love to do it but you know life's life man i can't see uh an alta making a 14 days on on that anytime soon but i guess you never know i wonder how heavy those bikes are it'd be interesting to know how much battery pack you could put on but definitely not, not that for, heavy. They're like 300 pounds. Are they really? Yeah. Yeah, I bet they are. Did you see there was one video clip of one of those dudes doing a backflip? Yeah. And in, in, in Europe somewhere yeah. on one of those bikes? Yeah. Pretty rad. Yeah. So um, here's a good transition for you because we wanted to talk about the Dakar, but what we really want to talk about is Honda. Oh, yeah. And their new fashion partnership with mm. Forever 21. Mm-hmm. I think you'd look good in the crop top. I I'm would. just going to say that now. I'll agree with that. Put yeah. the hair down. With the hair down. The I hair think. down. If I have it up, maybe. True, well, no, you know, with true ponytail. True decoy status. Yeah, right. Yeah. It would be. It would Get you in some yoga pants. <laughs> You'd look good from behind. My butt has been looking good lately. I yeah, think the yoga you've been pants doing some would be squats. Right. You're working out. <laughs> yeah. So Forever 21, this this popped up. I can't remember where I saw it. And I was like, wait. I, I literally, when I posted it, I'm like, wait, what? Because that's, wait, what, that's what I said. I was like, wait, what? Right? Honda going in with Forever 21, which I would call a mall, small mall, shop, right? Yeah. But they have an online presence and a pretty good one because I think that's just the way everybody has to I mean, go nowadays. Forever 21's a legit brand. I forget who their who their ownership is, but I think it's fairly serious. Like, they're a house of brands that yeah, you would... Yeah, fair enough. Well, I, I know that... I want to be Forever Twenty One. So I, I look looking up at the at the gear they have, just a few T shirts, but then a couple of a little bit more avant garde uh, women's uh, things. But a couple of them are just awesome T shirts from very ev- evoking the style of the eighties. Of course, I mean right now that's probably been the past five years. It's been pretty hot. You see a lot of day glow colors, a lot of eighties bent things o- overall. Whether it be fashion from small, large old, new, whatever. It's kind of 80s. There's a bit of 80s. Uh, um, well, you know, I've been talking about like how like 80s bikes are going to be the new hot thing. Yeah, and they are. They currently are. Katanas, right? man. And so the, uh, the, most of it's dirt bike. Obvi- obviously, it's all dirt bike. So not obviously, but that's um, that's what it is. And it's the classic red, white, and blue with the yellow accents gear. And I love it. I think it's cool. I think it's a. this is what happens when you make some partnerships. And the really interesting part to this was right after that happened, I posted up on Facebook and I'm like, 
This is interesting. We got a lot of play off of it. A lot of people are very divisive, like, ugh, I'm never buying a Honda again. I'm like, what? Why? Why? What, why? why? What, the, what kind of strange comment is that? How, how do you get to there? How then, do you get from here to there? Yeah, right? And then uh, our good buddy, uh, PR for Ducati, Nathan Verdugo, posts up a picture in his, in his Instagram feed of his mom and him when he's a teeny little kid, and his mom is decked in Honda gear, like, uh, as a rider. His mom's a rider, and she's rad. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And he, when I said that to him, he texted me back. He's like, dude, I'll tell you a funny story. I took the head of Forever 21's creative department to a Supercross last year. And they just said that that was a bit of the inspiration for them to, to find that licensing and to get on board with Honda. I was like, well, that's awesome. So I got you the phone number of that person and I've been waiting for you to call him, but you're too busy. I'm, been, I'm a busy guy, man. I know. You're on your phone now. You're, I was you're, trying to find the photo that you were talking about on Nathan's feed. Oh, it was on the, you know, on my story. The ones that uh, disappear. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. That's a cool feature. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, some people don't want it all there all the time, right? So um, I think that's a pretty cool thing that, that that person said, hey, this is hot. That's an interesting look. What kind of licensing can I do? What would they allow? What I would want to know from that person, and I hope that you call them, is to find out how do you decide, how did you decide on the era, on the time of, of, uh, on the, on the CC sizes of bikes, on the, on the imagery, what was it that appealed to you? Why, why did you do this? I'd, I'd love to see it. But some of it's just blatantly just straight up says Honda. Yeah. And you know, as a brand, it's, it is good enough to where that's, that stands its own, right? It stands on its own or it could do for a generation of people that may, might not know that Honda, I don't know, Honda never really evoked cool to me. It evoked awesome motorcycles but it wasn't like i don't know you're the cool person on a honda yeah again like how are you using the word cool like because when i covered on the story i said this could be like the millennial generations you meet the nicest people on a honda thing yeah and that sure. was kind of what that push was sure in the 60s yep and it wasn't so much like cool like like uber cool on trend it was just like more like this is acceptable this is something that normal people can do kind of a movement where getting people onto motorcycles, onto super cubs and having that be a form of transportation. And it changed the image of a motorcyclist from being the leather clad one percenter, you know, Marlon Brando's of the world and being like, Nope, regular people can ride bikes. You don't have to sell crystal meth to be a motorcyclist <laughs> and you can, you know, regular Joe's. <laughs> oh God. Well, it's true. True story, bro. So and that's where I look at this is like, it's a great opportunity and we don't see a lot of these in the space, but it's a great opportunity for Honda to reach a younger demographic and maybe make some people who wouldn't have been motorcyclists possibly become motorcyclists or possibly bring them into this industry. Yeah. And we don't have a lot of that going on right now. We, we don't do a very good job of bringing in fresh new riders like you usually have to have like a family member or a friend or something yeah. to kind of get you to come in so if this is helps facilitate that i'm all about it i think it's great i think more brands should be doing similar things i agree and the 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 downside is, is like the the roi on it like the return on the investment probably isn't going to be great but i think it's it's one of those things we have to do and just kind of be like, that's the price of doing business. Now, are you saying that on Forever 21's part or on Honda's, on Honda's part? part. How, how is that? Uh, uh, there's no investment from them. They're probably getting paid to use the license, right? Probably, but it's just, 
I mean, I don't know what the arrangement of that. That could that could be a, a couple different things, right? Yeah, sure. Um, but I think for Forever Twenty One, I mean, yeah, it's a no brainer for them too. They're like, hey, we have all these different things. Let's let's add a little spice of this into it. It's unique, which is really good because you're not going to find too much of that. But could you imagine another brand? I don't know, Wet Seal or whatever mall thing that seal. Wow. i think that's one of them right? it is no i just like i just like i don't think that's i don't know if that's still a thing anymore but i remember that as a kid and sure. walking by that in the mall and being like what the fuck do they sell slickness right <laughs> got some otters in there what are you doing <laughs> you otter, <laughs> check them out so they that could could they do a kawasaki thing i know i found a, a baby kid picture of me baby kid Redundant. baby kid uh, a baby picture <laughs> as, an adult, of me. as opposed to like the adult kid the that adult you are kid. now oh, I am. that's what i'm now right <laughs> um I, saw, I found a baby picture of me in a kawasaki shirt green kawasaki shirt blueprint you know with a dirt bike on it and this is from 1980 one two three somewhere around in there and it's rad of course right all all this old is new again and that's the way it goes so i don't know when ugly 90s stuff is going to come back on but i'm going to be on point i still have a bunch of t-shirts from the 90s left over and then we're going to watch this all kind of come back around again i'm almost stoked i'm i've seen people in cargo pants and i'm like i've been sticking with the cargo yeah it never stopped right right so now i'm back not on trend but at least not uncool like i have been for the past around with your two pockets like a sucker right that's what i'm saying right i got four pockets yo especially with smartphones the idea that people have been wearing skinny jeans with smartphones for the past half decade has been like decade has been like, what the, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, I have quads. I can't do it. <laughs> quads. I thought you were motorcycles only. I don't like quads at all. You'd look good in skinny jeans. Jensen. <laughs> I do look good in skinny jeans. <laughs> I remember when I lived in Europe. Oh man, this is a fun. Sorry. We had like a Euro trash party, which is horrible. Sorry. <laughs> like just, I apologize. Is that like you're trash and like this is time on sprockets when we dance? <laughs> no, that's German. That's its own thing. Where are we? We were in like Austria. So yeah, we weren't too far off the mark there. But you know, didn't have skinny jeans with me at the time. So a pair of lady jeans fits just as well. Yeah, sure. I looked good. I looked better than she did. She was pretty bummed about that. Yeah. Yeah. Bummed being the operative bummed word. Being the operative <laughs> word. Got some glutes. <laughs> Check out these hamstrings, girl. <laughs> All up in it. Oh, man. I'd say you should find pictures, but probably not. I think they're on Facebook. Are I think, they really? I think they're well hidden on Facebook. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Well, next next thing that I can imagine them doing is having a T-shirt with a big kickstand on it. That yeah. would be the one I'd buy. You should pitch that. I will. Yeah. For sure. Totally. Down. Kickstand down. No, it would have to be up. Yeah. I wonder if there's a way, like, you know, like the... Like a cereal box is what comes to mind, but I don't think that's actually what it was. Where like you turn it and it would have like a motion, <laughs> you know, like it would change the perspective. Sure. Put that on the shirt. So you like, as you like walk down the street, like it would yeah. change enough. No, but the yeah. kickstand would go up and down. Uh huh. That's that'd exactly. Good. No, Boom. that's good. And that would be 80s level of yeah. stuff. That'd be for sure. 80s level weird. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. That oh. one's mine. No one steal that. That okay. one's mine. All right. I get 10% royalty. All right. Kickstand's up. Good talk, sir. We'll see you out there. All right. Later. Oh, I was choked on an apple right there. You're you're this close to having a Heimlich on the on the podcast. Heimlich. Yeah, a Heimlich. I had a Heimlich. Heimlich. <laughs> yeah.